now I'm on. There were several events in my life that caused me to question and ultimately strengthen my faith, but my doctrine was still untested, to say the least. One of my professors on the first day of class warned all of us that what they sometimes refer to as seminary can be a lot like a cemetery. All of the information that we glean as we study and look through the Bible can strengthen our faith or it could kill it. But what challenged me the most was not just figuring out where I belonged, but also trying to understand where everybody else fit in to this story and to the idea of church and who exactly a Christian was. So let me back up just a little bit and tell you about the very conservative church and family and environment that I grew up in. I went to a small church, probably about the size of Taylor Street. It was Mayfield Road Church of Christ. It was just about a mile away from where I grew up. We spent most of our times in that building, but oddly enough, we drove past Mayfield Road Baptist Church in order to get to Mayfield Road Church of Christ. We saw that building and other buildings that looked like churches. Buildings that had parking lots that would be full on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, but the rest of the time they would be vacant. We saw steeples on those buildings and even signs outside that declared that the place where that was was actually a church. But even though I recognized them as a church building, we never acknowledged, about, acknowledged that they even existed. You see, we didn't talk about other churches and the other people. Sometimes we would talk about their doctrines as being wrong and the different ways that they worship were unhealthy and quite possibly sinful, but beyond that, we just didn't really talk about them. And we certainly didn't go into the buildings where those people worship. I could invite my friends to, enjoy, to join me on a Sunday morning, but I was never allowed to go with them to their churches. While I don't ever recall my parents speaking ill of these other churches, I don't remember them talking about them at all. They were simply off the radar. It was something we didn't talk about. What I did learn is that their doctrines and practices were to be avoided. And this was never outright said, but through my years I learned that my, my parents felt that I was safer hanging around a bunch of atheists than possibly a bunch of Baptists. Because for some reason, they had the idea that if I was hanging around an atheist, I could talk to them about God. But if I ended up around a Methodist or a Baptist or a Lutheran, then they might somehow convert me over to their way of thinking. And so it was safer just to stay away from other people who believed differently than what I did. As long as they didn't believe anything, they were okay for me to be around. 
I even remember one time having a discussion with my mom as we were talking about the types of music that was appropriate to listen to. And I remember her arguing that it was better to listen to a country radio station than the only Christian one that we had. Now, on a Sunday morning, I can remember not listening to the radio, but my mom putting on a record of the gospel airs or some kind of group that would, that would sing a cappella music. And we would listen to that a lot of times on Sunday mornings, but we didn't ever listen to Christian music on the radio because that didn't include a cappella music. Yes, George and Garth might sing about drinking beer, going to the bar, or degrading women, but as long as they didn't sing about God while holding a musical instrument, it was okay. That was the argument that I had with my mom uh, in my senior year, wondering why we don't listen to that type of music. Overall, though, we didn't spend a whole lot of time condemning other churches to hell. They just hadn't suggested that they were welcome into heaven like we were. So by the time I graduated high school, I thought the term Christian only applied to those who attended a church of Christ. And even within that, there was talk among some of our folks that there were other churches of Christ who probably wouldn't make it into heaven because of the way that they worship, maybe the time that they worship, or maybe some of the different ways their building had been laid out and the things they had inside of it. So I graduated high school and was planning to go into the ministry, and I knew very little about what was outside my small congregation that I grew up in. It was a congregation filled with good people, with faithful people, with people who loved the Lord. But somehow, we thought more about what we did than what was good for the kingdom as a whole. I remember sitting in class just a few weeks after we had started. It was a Bible class. I was now a student at Abilene Christian University. And there was another young man who had grown up probably even more conservative than I had. He grew up in a setting where they didn't use anything other than the King James Version because it was the authorized version. And anybody who read from the NIV was a heretic. But beyond that, we probably had a whole lot of things in common. And I sat there, not saying a word, but listening to him talk, and he actually said that the only Christians were the people who were in the church of Christ. And I thought about that. And then I listened to the arguments of other students. And I listened to the professor who made some comments, but for the most part, he just sat there and watched this happen. And he let other people from other churches talk about how Christianity could not include just one group of people. And then they started talking about things like church history. And I thought about speaking up. Of course I can talk about our church history. I can go back to Acts 2.38. That's when the church of Christ was born. And they, they started talking about, well, church of Christ was a, a little different. And while we may take ourselves back to the early church, the name Church of Christ didn't get its distinction until about a hundred years prior. And it started as an argument 
about should we or should we not support missionary churches? Uh, if we should support missions groups, and should we support children's home? And what does musical instruments, where do they fit within the church? And I didn't say a word that class. I sat there and listened and thought, is it true that the only people who are saved are Church of Christ? Are we the ones who are to be called Christians? And no one else could be Christians because of the way that they worshipped. I started thinking a lot about who I was, what I had been taught, what I believed, and what did the Bible say about it. And then I began thinking about how we have so, such a great diversity among Christians for the people who believed that they were Christians and for the ones that they felt weren't. Where did we all fit in with this? And then we open up the book of Acts. And Acts is the beginning of the church. And it's really interesting how Acts starts out and you see all these things just over and over again. These, these individuals come together and they start selling things and they give to one another and they look after one another and it seems like it's almost like a utopia of what Christianity should be. And I want to share with you a couple of paragraphs from the book I've been using the last several months, How to Start a Riot by Jonathan Storm. And I want you to listen to this. It says, People who open Acts for the first time are surprised to see how often the earliest Christians found themselves in the center of riots. Remember we talked about several weeks ago, if you could sum up Acts in the early church, someone might just say, another day, another riot. The church was always at a riot with the culture and what the culture wanted to do and what Christians felt was right. The gospel put those first believers at odds with the politics, the economics, and many of the values of their day. Those early Christians were deeply at odds with the status quo, so they often mixed things up. By outsiders, they were seen as people who were enemies of the way things were. They were perceived as agents of change. But by their fellow believers, they were welcomed as humble and hospitable people. They were people who made great concessions in order to live in a live peaceably in community. One of the greatest ironies of today's world is that this perception of Christians has been reversed. Churches today tend to be known by many as bastions of conservatism. We followers of Jesus are seen by modern media as people who easily sanction the way things are. Think about it. Where do good people go? Where do law-abiding citizens go? Where do nice people go? They go to church. Church people don't start riots. Church people don't go against the politics and the culture of the day. 
Today, Christians, excuse me, churches today tend to be known by many as bastions of conservatism. We followers of Jesus are seen by modern uh, media as people who easily sanction the way things are. But on the inside, within our own ranks, we often are seen as people who are volatile and sensitive, prone to discussions, eruptions, and divisions. As I study the book of Acts, I find myself wondering if one of the first things we as churches have to learn in order to start a riot is how to stop one. I want you to think about his statements for a minute. That in the first century, when you got a group of church members together, it seemed as though they had their backs against each other, fighting against the culture and the politics of the time. When other people said, no, 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 we won't love these people and we won't help those who are sick, Christians were the ones who ran and jumped in and helped. And then together, they seemed to have a strong front. But now if you look at Christianity as a whole, Most people wouldn't suggest that if you want to be a crazy radical, that you should join a church. Church is where you go to feel safe, to be encouraged, and to feel good about yourself. But then how do we deal with people that we sit in the same pew with? Or how do we deal with the people who worship across the street from us? How do we treat them? The first century church said, we're going to sell what we have and we're going to give to one another. And now, several thousand years later, what will we do for the people across the street who say, I believe in Jesus, even if they worship Him a little differently? What are we supposed to do with the book of Acts? It seems like they all got along but then they didn't. And I love how the good Dr. Luke decides to include Acts chapter 15 in his story of the early church because it helps us see how do we deal with conflict within the church. I want to read the first few verses of Acts chapter 15 and if you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to join along with me as I read this. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 15, some men came down from Judea and Antioch and they were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp, a sharp dispute and a debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Verse 5, Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. 
the apostles and the, and the elders met to consider the question. After much discussion, dot, dot, dot. Now that sounds probably a lot more tame than what it really was. Do you see what's going on here? This is a huge, huge argument. This is a big deal. Do we let the Gentiles in? And if we let the Gentiles in, are we going to let them be under the grace? Or do we say, you have to follow the law? You talk about volatile. This was in a time in the culture where people literally fought and died over their religious beliefs. In fact, several years prior, Herod had decided that he was going to defile the temple by putting an eagle, a statue of an eagle on top of it. And he says, this is how it's going to be, and if you don't like it, I'll just kill you. And so thousands of Pharisees got together, they went to the temple, they laid down on their backs, they stretched out their necks, and they said, if we have to die in order to the temple, in order for the temple of God not to be defiled, we'll do it. That was a big deal for them. And who were they fighting against? The Pharisees were fighting against a group of Gentiles who had these pagan gods. And these pagan gods had their own temples. And in their own temples, they would do heinous things. They would, make their own, they would have their own sacrifices. And the sacrifices would be made, it would be made to other gods. It might involve a, a, a priestess uh, who was also a prostitute. And, and the Jews said, we can have none of this. And so one of the big arguments came out of that is what are we going to do with these Gentiles who are coming in? Now let's talk about economics and what it was like for them. Not only did they have the issue of uh, these, these uh, animals uh, that have been sacrificed, one of the ways that a temple would make money back then is they would take these animals that had been sacrificed and then they would go sell them at market. And that would offer them, that would give them some, some extra money. And Gentiles said, hey, I can go to the market, and I can buy an animal that hadn't been sacrificed, and it'll cost me so much money, but if I go over to the next store, and they'll sell me uh, some meat that had been sacrificed, but I can get it for 30% off. It feeds my family. It, it helps us get by. I'm going to buy the one that's cheaper. And to them, it was no big deal. It was a way to save money. And the Jews said, whoa, 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 you can't do this. That meat is unholy. It's been sacrificed to other gods. I don't care if it saves you money and it puts food on the table. You can't do that. And so these arguments were breaking out among the, the Jews and the Gentiles who had been converted. And now the Jews say, okay, you guys, you can't eat that type of meat, okay? And you have to get circumcised. And this big argument broke out among them, and it all uh, comes to a head in Jerusalem. 
So Paul and Barnabas were sent to Jerusalem. The Pharisees in the uh, in Jerusalem said the Gentiles had to be circumcised. Peter then addresses the Pharisees in chapter 15. A few verses later, Peter's going to preach that, that we are all saved by grace, not just us, the Gentiles, and so that it's grace, not works, that they're saved. Paul and Barnabas told about some miraculous signs. James stands up, he agrees with them, and he quotes Amos in the Old Testament that says that how the Gentiles would bear the name of God. So the apostles and the elders wrote a letter and chose people to send it out. So what did they decide? I think you know the rest of the story, but let's go back to Acts chapter 15, and I want you to listen to this, verse 28. It seemed good. This is the letter that they they write that's being sent out. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. Now, I want to hold off what what the requirements are because we're going to talk about that in class. But listen to their statement. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you. Do you catch the humility in their statement? It was an edict. It wasn't a command. There weren't any threats. It was simply, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. They had a big disagreement. What are they going to do about it? Here's what we're going to believe. This is what we believe based on the Holy Spirit, and this is the way we believe we're supposed to treat people. And here's the four things that we're going to do. Now, it's interesting the four things that they're going to require. But I'll tell you this, circumcision wasn't one of them. How do you deal with people that you don't agree with? How did the early church do it then? And how do we do it now? Can you be a Christian and worship in a different building or in a different way? And how are we called to treat other people who do worship differently? It's our story. It's about who we are. Jesus would stand before the people who would listen to Him and He would say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, I don't know who you call your enemy, but if we're supposed to to treat our enemy with love and pray for them, how are we supposed to treat the people that we worship next to in a pew? I think this is why Jesus instituted the church. Because He knew that we need one another. Not only to offer encouragement, but I need to sit next to you people so I can be challenged. Challenge to love more. Challenge to show patience. 
I think I'm called to love the people next door to us and across the street from us. And I think I'm called to love you too. And you may not even like me. But God says you're, you're supposed to love me too. Let's be the type of people that when we go out, people don't say, oh, those churchgoers, they follow the law, or they dress nice, or they're pretty good people. I want us to live in such a way that when people see us, they say, those people know how to love. And we do it because we follow someone who loved us first. May we be a people this week who show love and compassion to this world. Let that be our marker. And let us never forget to point to God. My encouragement is that you do it this morning as we stand and sing. Brett.